Facebook has killed high school reunions. Did you know this? Facebook has killed high school reunion, reunions. And some of you guys may wonder, you're maybe not old enough yet to go to a reunion. Uh, why is that? Well, there used to be intrigue. There used to be curiosity and, and wonder about the people you grew up with and started wondering, whatever happened to Jared? You know, did, did, did they become a baker? Whatever happened to the quarterback? What, 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 did, he, what did he end up doing? Did they, what happened to the most likely to succeed? Did they actually succeed? You know, what, what we, we start wondering, in it, whether it's Facebook or other social media, it's kind of ruined that wonder because you could just go look it up and you go, oh, oh, well, they took a dive. Uh, you guys may have said that before about me. Uh, like, oh, they got married. Wonderful. I didn't think that would last. Or, or like the, the one most likely to be president. Like, all of a sudden you realize that they're serving bread at Olive Garden. And you're like, okay, that's neat. Huh. The world ha has measured greatness by the standard of service. Not, not the service a person gives, but a service that one receives is how we measure greatness. Uh, and so in business, men or women are judged successful if many people report to them and serve them. And, and happiness and success is then to be found at the top of the pyramid is how we see the world. Um, Plato said, how can a man be happy when he has to serve someone? I think we think about that. For the Greeks, the, 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 the menial service was not dignified. Surely it was not a, a, a way to be, to be sought after. And yet servanthood, servanthood is not menial. Our Lord Jesus himself is the servant of all and is still the emperor of the universe. And so today we're, we're going we're to be talking about servants. And, and I want to say talking because I love it when we have some talk back. If you guys want to talk back at me, please talk back at me. I, I enjoy that. But we're going to be talking about servants. We're going to continue our series on the blueprint of a healthy church. And we, we kicked started this whole thing talking about servant leadership. Then we hit what and who an elder is. Uh, and today we get to talk about maybe my favorite group of people in the church. What a church absolutely needs to be healthy is the deacon. The deacon. We'll, we'll look at the deacon in three ways. We'll look at the role, the requirements, and the reward. So the role, the requirements, and the reward. All right, so the role. What is a deacon? Uh, the, the word deacon or a diaconon literally means table servant. So if you ever had someone who thought their, uh, their role as a deacon was high and mighty and they should look down on you, well, their role literally means a table servant, a waiter or, or a waitress. Um, and so to, to deacon is to serve someone. The word deacon is actually used all throughout the New Testament, um, and, but it's, it's usually translated serve um, because it, it, it's someone who cares for the poor, serves them, serves the practical needs of the church. And so you can go all the way back to Acts 6. We looked at the, the whole book of Acts uh, a year ago, but we can look back at Acts 6, and if you would, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Um, this famous passage, which, which 
many have believed is the first group of deacons selected because in Acts 6.1 there is a big complaint about the church. The church was neglecting its role. And so in, in verse 1 it says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, which were the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. So the Hebrew-speaking Jews are getting preferential treatment with a daily distribution over the Greek-speaking Jews. Why? Why does one group get more bread than another? Maybe there was, there was a language barrier. Maybe, maybe they couldn't understand what was going on. The Greeks probably couldn't speak Aramaic or, or Hebrew. There's also a cultural barrier. You know, we just grew up differently. Or maybe it's, well, I know them. and they, I, Let me take care of my people first. And if we have enough, then we'll take care of, of these other people. And so, so from, the, from the very beginning of the church, you can see that we have division and splits over ethnic lines. Threatening the unity of the church. And so this isn't just an issue in America, as we can see. It's happening all the way back in the New Testament. The church has always struggled with division over cultural lines. Now remember, widows are some of the most vulnerable people in the society at that time. And, and the church is withholding from them. Where were they going to get their food? It was a daily distribution, and so they were reliant upon this food every single day. And so it's a pretty ugly look for the church to neglect these widows. And so, yes, you could say they weren't doing an outright hate crime to these widows, but it was neglect. They weren't outright hatred for the Greek widows, but it was neglect of them. And so they would, these widows would walk out of their homes... Sometimes very far, very, very many miles, walked to the center where the food was distributed, and then were overlooked and had to walk home, turn away home, hungry. Because the church failed them and gave preferential treatment. Is that okay? Absolutely not. Thankfully, thankfully the church didn't just say, you guys are overreacting. Thankfully they didn't question the complainers and say, well, what did you do to get your own food? Thankfully, that was not their response. Thankfully, they didn't get defensive and say, do you know who I am? By the way, that's the best response in any situation. Do you know who I am? Or, <laughs> no, that usually escalates things. <laughs> Thankfully, they didn't say, I'm Peter. How dare you? How dare you call me a racist? They didn't divide the church between Greeks and Jews and say, let's just let them have their church and let them have their church. Thankfully, that's not what happened. They didn't appoint a committee to study it either. And said, you know, in maybe about 15 years we'll have an answer to that. No, none of that happened. They knew that this was important. That this was essential. And so then in verse 2 it said, it is not, this the, the church speaking, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And that word there is to deacon. What's up buddy? <laughs> So he says, we, it's not right that we give up preaching the word of God to serve tables or to deacon, which actually sounds kind of harsh, right? It kind of sounds like they're saying it's not that important. You know, if, it's more of, it thinks of a deacon as a lesser role, but it's not that case at all. 
It, it's, it's a decision you and I face every single day. Every single day, there are a million great things that we could be doing every single day, and we get stuck by the tyranny of the urgent, doing that which is most important at that moment. And we only accomplish the most urgent needs. And the disciples realized that to keep the focus on preaching and evangelizing and discipling and feeding and caring for widows, that this was then going to be, the caring for the widows is going to be overlooked. And so what they needed, they needed help. And so it was because that this role is so crucial for the health of the church that they institute a, a whole new office. And so in verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And so do you see how critical it was? Deaconing is so vital to the church that they said, we need a whole new office for this. For the church to be healthy, we have to have deacons. And what we see here today is what many churches call the, the, the first deacons in the church. And then, so the church commissions them in verse 5. And what they said, they, they pleased the whole gathering. And so then they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And so what's fascinating, though, is the early church here. They knew that to reach the Greek, the Greek minority group, for them to truly be heard and be respected and seen, they needed that minor, minority group in leadership. Because all seven Greek, all seven deacons that are chosen here are Greek names. They're Greek-speaking Jews that are the minority that they just put in leadership. Now think about that. In, in a church full of Hebrew-speaking believers and Greek-speaking believers, they elect a seven-person deacon board to be all Greek minorities. To make real change and to care for the most overlooked. And so a deacon's role, as we said here, is to serve. To care for the most vulnerable. But at its most basic level, it's to love. It's to love these widows and to love the people around us. And so we need deacons so that we can truly and tangibly love one another. The deacon... The deacon, you see, is to be a living example of Christ's love command. According to Jesus, there is no such thing as a, as a deedless love. Love always is made tangible by our actions. And so, in, in honor of Black History Month, let me quote James Baldwin to you. I can't believe what you say because I see what you do. You know that one? I can't believe what you say because I see what you do. And so it would not have been enough for Peter and the apostles to say, hey, we're sorry, widows, but we love you. That, that would just been empty words. No, love needs action. It needs substance that proves and verifies that it's real. Therefore, the love that He enjoins upon the church, the love that He calls us to love and show one another, must be practical. It must be tangible. Even to the point of meeting the physical needs of the Christians who are in distress. And so deacons in a church make loving our neighbors tangible. They care for the sick. They care for the widows, the orphans, the poor, the prisoners. Anyone who is in distress and who is in need. Oh, I love deacons. <laughs> They handle money 
to be distributed to those who are in need. And so if, if elders, as we talked about earlier, are, are servant leaders, deacons are lead servants. Let me say that again. If elders are, are servant leaders, deacons are lead servants, leading everyone else in that servanthood. And so the spirit of the deacon is that no task is too small to do. If a deacon says, that I, I, I'm, I'm above that task, they are not a deacon. And so the role of deacons are to meet practical needs, to make love tangible, and to serve and support the ministry of the elders by making ministry happen. So now, that's the role. The requirements of a deacon, as we read in our scripture earlier today by Sharon, if you look at the requirements, go back to 1 Timothy 3, they're, they're, they're remarkably similar to what we, we read about the requirements for elders, except for a few exceptions, namely, that deacons aren't required to teach. Though that doesn't mean that they can't teach, because Stephen, after being uh, nominated as a deacon in Acts 6, he then gets stoned after preaching a sermon. And so deacons do teach and do preach, can do that, but it's not a requirement. But the requirements are, in verse 8, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect. The ESV translates that word respect as dignified. It means, it means weighty. It means that they, they, they have a, a certain gravitas about them. Someone who demands respect, not because they demand it, but because their attitude and de demeanor simply commands it, that we want to give it to them. Then it says that they must be sincere, or, or they're not hypocritical. Which literally means not double-tongued. And so, if, if, if it's, it's, double-tongued means it's consciously giving, saying one thing to one group and then saying or insinuating something else to another group. A double-tongue indicates a fear of man and a deacon driven by fear of men cannot, can, can destroy a whole church. And so they must not have that. And so qualified deacons will control their speech and then that they, 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 they cannot be addicted to much wine, so they will control their appetites. We talked a little bit about that last week. But also, they will control their wallets. The text says, not pursuing dishonest gain. Why is that important? Well, because if you have deacons that will use money, benevolence money, to care for the most vulnerable, then you want them to be worthy of respect uh, in this regard. You want them to be worthy of respect in how they will use the, the money. And so not only are they to be uh, to use the benevolence money wisely, but they themselves earn their money honestly. Because if they have questionable business practices, if, they, if they've earned their money in, in questionable ways, then they will have questionable practices at the church. And so it's a requirement here. Verse 9 says, They must keep hold of the deep truths of faith with a clear conscience. The deep truths. They must hold... The deep truths, or, or the translation also would say, or the mystery. They must hold the mystery of the faith. And this deep truth, this mystery, is it, what it literally is, is how can we sinners ever be okay with a holy God? And we'll come back to that, but, but that's critical. And then in verse 10 it says, let them be tested. So deacons got to have a test. Scantron only. No, no, no. In my experience, 
the funny thing about deacons is I don't think you ever produce a deacon. Deacons aren't produced, they are found. And so that test that happens is how are they already serving? How are they already caring for people? You see it in them, and that's the testing that, that would happen there. You, you go through it and you see what they are doing because you, you can't force someone to be compassionate. They just have that in their heart and their heart breaks for someone. You can't make someone stay late to do dishes after the party's over. You can't make someone clean the floors. They just offer it and want to help. And so that deacon comes out of them and you see it in them. And so even though we don't have any formal deacons here at Mosaic yet, the church is full of deacons and deaconesses and I see it every single Sunday. I watch this church full of people who would, instead of sleeping in and staying warm, they are willing to be uncomfortable to make Mosaic happen. And yet, they're willing to get up early, to practice music, to make coffee, to run the live stream, to, to greet you with a smile, to give you the communion. They're doing all of this because they want to serve. And so they're passing this test. <laughs> they want to do this for, for the church. And that's just on Sunday. Some of you are already serving in your, in your fields, in your vocations. And, and you're already doing the fruits of it are, are obvious. I see you deaconing, whether in the education system or in, or in the medical system. I see you loving people this way. I, I think of Miss Shirley as one of the greatest deacons I can think of who's been serving East Waco for so many years. I mean, it's a thing of beauty when you see someone loving and serving and caring for someone. Then verse 11 says, In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Now this text, I believe, is probably the most persuasive biblical case for a recognized body of deaconing women. Paul gives Timothy screening qualifications for the elders in verses 1 through 7, and then the deacon, which is a, it's a gender-neutral word, verses 8 through 13, and, and right in the middle of this description of deacons, in verse 11 it says that the gynecas, which could be wives or women, Likewise, must be worthy of respect, not speaking evil of others, self-controlled and faithful in all things. And so, then after the statement, then Paul goes back to describing the deacons. And so, since that word gynecus can, can, can be either wives or women, some translate this passage and their wives, and adds that there to it. While others, as the NIV, as you see here, says the women. And so, my big question if we translated it, their wives, is why do deacons' wives have qualifications and elders' wives don't? And, and the, the evidence throughout the New Testament is, is fairly convincing. You can think of, of Phoebe in Romans 16.1, where, where Paul says, I commend to you our sister, Phoebe, a deacon of the church. That seems clear to me. Again, it could be a servant of the church. It's that word deacon. Or you could see Tabitha in Acts 9, noted for her work deaconing with the poor and the widows. And it was, it was the women who served Jesus' disciples as they traveled. And in Luke 8, it literally says 
deaconing them out of their own means. And so it's not surprising that the early church actually had an order of deaconesses very early in the church. And you can see it in church history. And so I've personally become convinced of that view, uh, along with many scholars and pastors like John Calvin, Benjamin Warfield, Eric Mason, James Montgomery Boyce, Philip Ryken, Tim Keller, Scott Sauls, many to name a few. But whatever stance you take on this, women or wives, it is clear our sisters are critical in deaconing. It is clear that they are critical in deaconing. And so the requirements end, this passage ends with a phrase that we heard from last week in verse 12. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Again, just like an elder, does this mean that a deacon must be married? No, that's if they're married of one wife or one spouse. Uh, that they Must that they have a children? No, if they have children is what it's saying. So... If they are married, they are faithful to their spouse. Uh, if they have children, that they can manage their, 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 their household well, is what it's arguing there. And so we see the role, we've seen the requirements for deacons, and now here's the beauty, the reward of deacons. The reward of deaconing. Why would anyone want to serve? What reward is it to be at the bottom of, of that, um, that, that pyramid? To be the one who's always in the back serving, staying late? What's the benefit there? First Timothy in this text in Acts 6 reveal this beautiful reward for deaconing. In 1 Timothy 3.13 it says, Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Meaning, the outside world shows you respect. Actually respects your Christianity. Why? Because the outside world says something like this. Your actions speak so loud that I can't hear a word you're saying. Your actions speak so loud that I can't hear a word you're saying. Or, But positively, when the church and its deacons speak so loud with their service and care for the most vulnerable, the outside world's lips drop to the floor. You would do that? You, 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 would, you would care for the most vulnerable and offer that service? I mean, it's not with a savior mentality. No, people see right through that nonsense because it's not charity. It is justice. And when the world sees the church deaconing, I mean, radical change happens. In Acts, when they did appoint deacons, what happened? In verse 7, back in Acts 6, And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so not only did, did they care for the widows and, and, and care for that immediate need, but because they revealed their true heart for the people around them, the disciples multiplied, and even the priests came to faith. Like, I just, I, I love it. <laughs> Sometimes we have, we have, um, we have, unsaved ministry leaders leading ministry. And, and you, the church, can wake up these ministry leaders up to the gospel that they preach. How? Because the outside world will see what you're doing. They will see what James talks about as dr true religion. James says it's true religion, real faith. It, and seeing it, when you see someone doing that, it makes you want it. James 1.27 says... True religion is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. 
And sometimes this true religion is, is simple relief for those most overlooked. It, 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 is, it is that. That's your level one. But, but deaconing goes to multiple levels. It goes to economic development. Psalm 41.1 says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. And so is our decision making considering the poor? Are we thinking about the poor in, in all that we do? The ways that we've responded to COVID. Are we thinking of how it affects the most vulnerable in our, in our community? Deaconing is, is thinking of the, the spot relief. It's thinking of, uh, of these systems. But it's got, it's got to go past the spot relief. Again, we're, we're for that. It, we're for giving a meal away and caring for people in that, in that, in that moment. But it's got to go even deeper. It's got to go further than that. We're, we got asked the question, how can they prosper? Why are the poor actually poor? What got them into that? What's making them stay that way? We, we, y'all got to read this book, When Helping Hurts. It's a fantastic book. And then, so then we start going to social reform and social action and start putting our efforts there. Deacons care about all of that. Why? Because Jesus cared that way for you. For Jesus, deaconing meant giving sight to the blind. It meant having, having ears to deaf ears. I mean, giving comfort to the afflicted, strength to the weak legs, deliverance to tormented souls. He washed the disciples' feet. And so no wonder they were confused. They, this isn't how the emperor of the world works. Like, this is not greatness. Or is it? This is, this is what greatness is because Jesus is the ultimate deacon. Our ultimate example. Matthew 20, 26. You've you probably heard this passage before, but did you know deacon is all throughout it? But whoever would be great among you must be your deacon, must be your servant. And then in verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you see that Jesus loves the deacons? Jesus leads his people in diaconal ministry in the most servant and diaconal act with his death and his resurrection. Because it's out of great love for you that he acts and makes tangible love coming into the earth, that he humbles himself, that he sees your need, and he doesn't just say, I love you. He makes it real. He does something about it. He suffers and answers the mystery that we talked about earlier. How could a holy God forgive sinners? Payment of sin must be made. And in the Old Testament, you had the mystery concealed. We didn't know what happened. But in the New Testament, you have the mystery revealed. And so we see how that happened. That he is the word of God made flesh. Jesus saw our need and did something about it at a great cost to himself. By paying for our sins on the cross. Go back to James Baldwin. He once said that love does not begin and end the way we seem to think it does. Love is a battle. Love is a war. Is that hyperbole? Why does he say that? Because loving people is hard. It's a war that you have to be all in on when you love someone. Being committed to walking with people is extremely difficult. 
And Jesus waged war out of immense love for you and me by going to the cross. He wages war on our sin and he kills it completely. And so by it, he empowers us. Yes, yes, he pays for our sins. Hallelujah. But then he empowers us for this task. And so our ministry of service is possible and it's required because Jesus came in the form of a servant to serve us. And so that means that we're all deacons in this regard, every single one of us. We're all Martha's serving and pouring perfume on Jesus' feet, deaconing Jesus and deaconing one another. We all share that privilege. We all share that as table waiters looking to serve for the benefit of others. And so one day after we have elders, we'll let them, not in a few weeks, we'll let them appoint a, 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 as we said here, lead servants to lead the servants of the church. And we'll have a group of lead servants to direct all of us in our deaconing. And so a church may look healthy if they don't have men and women deaconing. But have they actually truly changed? Has, has the gospel really gripped their hearts if they don't have that? When you see real love, when you see tangible grace, when you see substantive mercy, it's infectious. And it takes over you. And you, it makes you want to change day by day to serve one another. And so deacons are a huge, huge part of a healthy church. And I pray that the Lord will bless and raise up many of our undercover deacons and deaconesses as they serve Christ's church here at Mosaic. Let me pray for us.